Bone Shaker Books on 23rd Avenue South in beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah, that's right. On today's app, we'll be talking about how to live safely in a science fictional universe written by Charles Yu in Earth Year 2010. I'm your host, Brent Aldrich, and with me as always via holographic projection, Please help me welcome my co-host, Mr. John Love. Hey, Brent. Hi, John. Um, so this is our first uh, live show, and uh, you know what I'm going to do? I think I've got to figure it out already. I'm going to pander to this audience. I'm going to uh, play the room. At some point, I'm going to appropriate one of their most beloved and or reviled um, media uh, to ever be produced in their state and twist it to my own devices. So... Uh, at this point, there should be no, uh, you love it or hate it. No, no undecided voters in this audience, right? No kin bones out there. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. Did you know, John, that, uh, uh, Minnesota is known for its progressive political orientation and its high rate of civic participation and voter turnout? Oh? Yeah. That's a Minnesota fact. Uh, you won't get that anywhere else. Minnesota facts. Minnesota facts. Um, you know, so anyway, I'm just going to keep this plan. I kind of like this now at this point. It's, it's nice that Bone Shaker brought out the uh, full orchestra pit for our show tonight. Very kind of them. Yep. Um, a, a, as I said, we couldn't be happier than to be here with you for... Uh... Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Our, our first stop on our SFBCPC... EBT 2K27. That's an abbreviation for Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast. Earth Book Tour 2027. Hello, 2027. Yeah. Oh, shit. So, and we did find this out today. So, I don't know if anybody in the audience knows, but we did crash land our pod on a frozen lake here in uh, frigid 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were shooting for 2027. We were shooting for 2027. Uh, a couple reasons why. Uh, we heard bad things about... Hey, wait a minute. I'm just going to put a pin in that. Yep. I just put heard something. Could the, could the band rewind a little bit, actually? No. I went too far. I thought I heard some really aggressive applause there for, like, one solo... <laughs> missed it. Brandon, anyway. is it already the segment Boy Our Guests to Tears? Yeah. Go for it, John. Uh, yeah, we heard bad things about some potential political uh, figures, and so we wanted to, for one, skip that. Okay, wait a minute. I just heard it. Put a pin in that. Okay, <laughs> somebody in, somebody in the audience is way into this mandolin solo. <laughs> Let's hear that again. 
Yeah. One guy out there loves the mandolin. All right, continue. Uh, taking a pin out, and I kind of forgot what we were talking about. Okay, anyways, so we were shooting for 2027 uh, for that reason that I already mentioned, but also, so uh, you guys don't know this, and this is going to be the few times we allow spoilers on the podcast, uh, future spoilers, um, not book spoilers. We usually get to that early and Very often. Quickly. Yes. So uh, we wanted to come back to 2027, and as Brent mentioned, this was our SFBCPCEBT2K27, the Earth Book Tour, because you may not know this, apparently, which I expected you would, uh, the top-selling book on the New York Times bestseller list is the Sci-Fi Book Club podcast Earth Book Tour book that we uh, released sometime in the early 2020s here on Earth, and we are actually huge celebrities in 2027. Oh, yeah. And also, uh, after uh, he who must not be named, uh, old old Voldemort in the White House, mm-hmm. uh, gets gets booted, uh, all of the NEA money comes just raining in. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. And actually, some people get a little bristly with all of these public subsidies that go to giant bookstore arenas. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think in these times, there's a little bit of uh, saltiness over a giant sports arena that's been made with public money mm-hmm. somewhere down here in beautiful Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to turn around, universe. Mm-hmm. You just wait a decade uh, and also buy our book, the SFBCPC Earth Book Tour book. We're fully prepared to play the uh, Bone Shaker Book Stadium in 2027. Uh, massive sold-out audience. I mean, people are really upset about this, guys. I mean, Bone Shaker, I mean, they're just getting all this taxpayer money. That's right. The, the largest bookstore stadium mm-hmm. in the galaxy. These little sports stores just can't hardly make it. Um, right. These little mom-and-pop sports stores. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's tough to see. Um, so, yeah, we uh, we tried to shoot for that time, got here a little early, but we're still doing it, and uh, it's been nothing but warm hospitality for a couple mm-hmm. illegal aliens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, uh, we we crash-landed on White Bear Lake uh, on, on our pod. So see, seeing as how we didn't get the red carpet rolled out uh, to our pod to greet us, which was pretty weird, uh, and the first Rising. time that we weren't. Also weird that we didn't get the, uh, the blue-green carpet of – intergalactic friendship and what's upness. Um, I mean, that would have been cool, Minnesota. I mean, just saying. But uh, we are from 900 years or so in your future. We uh, live near the galactic center in a parking lot uh, near a supermassive black hole. So John and I are aging very slowly, which is great. Just the best. Uh, We found a, a spaceship full of science fiction books and movies from your time. And for the last... Well, two Earth years, I suppose, if we're in 2017, we've been sending podcasts, trying to make contact uh, with your time, which we actually just recently did um, in our season finale for season one. Interesting how that worked out. Um, But uh, so we've been learning English and learning about your culture from science fiction books from your time. So we're here now, I guess, um, since it's not uh, 2027, I guess we'll have to continue on with a with what we do have. Uh, but we did pay a lot of money to get uh, all the branding and the rights to mm-hmm. uh, 20 or 2K27 in, in the book title and the tour title, so mm-hmm. we, we're not changing We're that. not changing that. Uh, no redactions mm-hmm. from us. No. Anyways, uh, this is this book, huh? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say so. How to live safely in a science fictional universe? Is there is there anyone first of all in the audience who has read any of this book besides just the two of us? Oh yeah, got a lot of partials out there. Awesome, excellent. Well, here's the excellent news. Um, one thing I want to talk about this book, and we're gonna get into this book. I have a lot of questions. Um, we're from another space time completely. And I have a lot of questions about Minnesota that I feel like are going to need to get addressed at some point uh, this evening. That's right. Thank you, Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I feel like we got a lot to clear up. We also, while we've been out on our pod today, um, have met a lot of people who have asked questions that they've placed in a time capsule for us for the future. So we'd like to get through uh hopefully answering some of these questions that have been given to us today uh, in our time capsule. We'll open that up. And with our perspective of 900 years, hopefully talk, talk about some of those. Uh, but first, as a tradition, we're going to read the last page of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so spoilers again with the books come early and often. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Uh, this page is unnumbered in the paperback copy. I don't know if that's true for the hardcover, but uh, here we go. This page intentionally left blank. There you have it. What a book. Charles Yu, a, a true book. hero, great author. Now, interestingly enough, too, we, we do traditionally read the last page, at least a few sentences at the very end. And uh, I, I was very curious about this one because this book, the first thing you should know about it is there's so much meta in-jokes in terms of how the language is structured itself. And even... This freaking guy, Charles Yu, I felt like was making some of our our jokes for us. How dare he? Um, Because at at some point within the scope of the book, he says, like, let's go to the last page. And sure enough, he does. So that's early on the book. So it's not a spoiler. So we get to read it. (laughs) Right. Um, But we are totally comfortable with spoilers. Don't don't get Mm -hmm. us wrong there. Um, Yeah, this is a book pretty similar to, I think, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where it is a book that is produced or exists inside of the book's universe as well. So there's kind of, yeah, just meta-referentiality into the narrative itself. Mm -hmm. So uh, for that reason, yeah, he does read the last page of this book early on in the book. So this is the last page and, like, you know, maybe the exact midpoint page as Mm -hmm. well. It says this page intentionally left blank mm-hmm. so there's um there's a moment in this book early on too where i made a note have uh have some of you read the hobbit i'm sure you have my applause <laughs> <laughs> okay i've complained about this on the podcast before but i'm gonna do it again and hopefully set some things straight so um in the hobbit get to the very last chapter so you know bilbo's gone on his adventure he's got the ring everything's great he's gone back to the shire And within that very last chapter, there's this little thing that happens where all of a sudden it like steps outside of the narrative and decides to be meta, right? And so Bilbo says, and I've I've come down hard on this before, and I feel like I should probably step off it a little bit because it's not that big of a deal. But Bilbo at some point basically says like, I'm thinking about writing a book. Maybe I'll call it There and Back Again, A Hobbit's Journey. As if, like, oh, I just read that book, you know? And so, like, you're suddenly really self-aware that, like, oh, wait, Bilbo wrote, wrote this book? Um, I hate that. Don't do that. If you're an author, don't do that. Um, because this whole time there's been this, like, uh, narrator character telling the story about Bilbo Baggins and Gandalf, some dwarves. Um, 
Prancer, Happy, Gimli, Han Solo, <laughs> Chewbacca, no, not you know, Yodorowsky. Yodorowsky, that's right. And Dopey. <laughs> there we go. That's the seven. So you tell this the story the whole time, and then all of a sudden decide to like step back and become meta about it. And it, it just doesn't hold up. And there have been a few other books that we've read where I felt like it was going that way. It's it's too convenient, you know. So I've been calling it the Hobbit fallacy, if any author ever does that, because um, it, it, it's too easy. It's too easy and clean of a way for all of a sudden your hero to be an author also. They're not. Um, so I, I was worried very early on, um, and I could probably tell you exactly what page in my notes, when I thought, oh, no, oh, no, Charles Yu is turning into that and he's going to do this. But it happened very early on where he starts to say, okay, I'm reading this book and I'm writing this book. And you start to realize, okay, is it this book that I have in my hands? You say it's a silver cover. That's what's under my dust jacket, you know. And um, it is. It's, it is. Um the difference in this one, and the reason I'm going to give it a pass on the Hobbit fallacy, is that he he calls it so early on, and the entire structure of the book is this super meta. Um, we can talk about diegetics here in a minute because this book is all about that. Uh, yeah, we got some. <laughs> the, the guy loves mandolins, diegetics. <laughs> oh, my favorite Star Wars character, mandolin solo. <laughs> Yeah, he became Kylo Ren. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really not sure how this book managed to get over that because it was very in your face early and often like, haha, look at me writing this book. Great. Mm -hmm. But it, I don't know, it was almost at a certain point where it didn't even matter anymore. Like the book exists more in the, in the universe than it does in my mm -hmm. hands, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it was really part of the narrative story instead of, yeah, this haha look at this object that's both in and out of the story at the same time mm -hmm. but i don't know it was good job charles at avoiding the hobbit fallacy and so now i think it's probably time to go to uh everyone's favorite segment uh five word synopsis uh john are you prepared to give a five word synopsis subtitle it doesn't have to be a complete sentence right uh, yeah, if you could give me a 25-word yeah, yeah, yeah. intro song that okay. I could think up, the five-word synopsis, okay. that would be great. Um, it's everybody's favorite time. John's making drinks with limes. Giving you synopsis. Is that the plural? Still got them. Five words left to go. I'm sorry, that one didn't rhyme very well. Thank you. You're very kind. Thank you. Diegetics, bad theme songs, mandolins. Thank you. I didn't do a very good job. Five words or less. Five words or less. All right. Well, I got four, and I don't think that they do a very good job. Uh, but we'll, we'll try. How about this? So let's hear them. Again, not a complete sentence. Meta narrative. Is that one? That's one word. Sure. Dad? <laughs> Question mark? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Dad? Time Dad? loop, one word. Paradox. And I'm going to just say meta narrative is two. <laughs> meta narrative. Dad? 
meta, comma, narrative, comma, dad, question mark, comma, time loop, comma, paradox. Okay. Exclamation point. Thank you. And that's been everyone's favorite segment, five word synopsis. (laughs) We usually then have a follow-up segment, which is explain the five word synopsis and expound upon it, which kind of makes the five word synopsis useless in the first place. But Mm -hmm. uh, so do you want to take that segment on? Can you you unravel my five words? Sure. So uh, meta narrative, as I was just saying, this entire book plays so much with the narrative structure itself. I'll back up even a little bit and say that um, he's in a time machine, the TM31, which is powered by chronodiegetical technology. So the idea that time and diegetics, the uh, the structure of a story itself, are what power his time machine. So within that, you, the, the fact that you start on like page four talking about diegetics, the structure of a narrative itself, the, the narrative form, the narrative fiction – you know this is already going to be a super meta narrative because it's called that out to begin with. Narrative was the second word. I think I messed up Let's already. Let's just make that one word. Sure. We'll call it five word synopsis or less. Dad? Um, so this entire story turns out that it rev- revolves around a father-son narrative, which could get really weird later on the podcast. Who knows? Um, so this, uh, the main character also named Charles Yu, which is the author's name, which is again, super meta to begin with, uh, is searching for his dad who's been lost somehow with this time machine through space and time. And he's on a search for, and really drives all of his actions time loop. At some point we find out that the character, main character, Charles Yu is stuck in a time loop that he can't get out of. And so we don't know again, it becomes super meta in terms of, how the narrative has maybe already happened before in the past, who knows how many times, and it becomes a question of how do you escape that time loop. And paradox, oh, how, how could all of these, oh my goodness, thank you. How, how could you hold these different realities uh, that are different happen perhaps in the same universe but have very different outcomes and realities especially at the very very end of this book which um comes just before that last page you get a whole nother sort of narrative at the same time as let's say the rest of the narrative that's been happening throughout and that's the exegesis of the five word or less summary this segment brought to you by corellan sweet tea it's the sweetest tea in the galaxy Sip, and we're back. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, here's the thing. John, unless you you um, have something you're dying to get to, um, I have a lot of questions about Minnesota, and I'm wondering if we've got a, a, a real Minnesotan in the audience who can help me out. And I have uh, – don't worry. I have um, a set of questions to test if you're a real Minnesotan or not. So that should help. Do we, do we have any – or do we have any who think they can pass – the test of a true Minnesotan. Come on down. None of us are from Minnesota. It's time for a real Minnesota corner. And we're going to play a theme song. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of questions about Minnesota. Well, first we'll find out if you're a true Minnesotan who is prepared to even answer these questions. Um... What's your name? Cat. Cat. I'm Brent. John, nice Hi. to meet you. Thank you for being here. What? <laughs> I'm just going to jump right in if you don't mind. 
What is, are you from Minnesota? I am. Where, from, where are you from? It's a town called Farming. Farming? Yeah, up north. Farming, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. What happens in Farming, Minnesota? Guess. Guess. Industry. <laughs> Industry. <laughs> Is there a farming? What do you farm there? Not you. Uh, <laughs> most people farm dairy cows. There's a lot of fields, a lot of crops going on. And then what do you personally farm up there? Yeah. My family used to farm dairy cows, now just beef cows. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and that's been shout out to farming. Keep on farming. <laughs> Keep on fram- farming in the free world. Yeah. Do they, is the town slogan, keep on farming? <laughs> it is. Spoiler, it is. In the future, it is, at least. So what brings you to Minneapolis? Um, I could not live in farming. <laughs> you got kicked out? Because yeah. <laughs> I cut my hair. Oh, no. It's a real Samson situation up there. That's how you lose your farming power. Everybody knows that. That's right. Well, good thing that some of my questions have to do with farming, uh, not the town, the verb? Occupation. <laughs> Occupation. Thank you. So now first we have to find out if you're a true Minnesotan and are prepared to answer my questions about Minnesota. Um, what is the state bird? <laughs> Balloon. <laughs> Whoa! Can anyone do a loon call? Like they're right here among us. <laughs> Should they do this in the moment? Yeah. What is the state flower? You want an easy one first? What is the state? I think I know. I think I know. Yeah. You can phone a friend. Are you phoning me? Yeah. My friend? Uh-huh. The lady slipper. The pink and white lady slipper. Can you do a lady slipper call? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we'll put that in post. (laughs) (laughs) What is the state tree? Something fur. It's a pine. That's coniferous. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Two out of three. What is the state (laughs) beverage? We got a real Minnesotan back here. Milk. Milk. What? Milk. Love milk. You don't know about that in farming? The dairy cows. And finally, what is the state song? Purple rain. Purple rain. Is that true? No. I was going to say, perhaps, oh, perhaps this will trigger your memory. That's your state song, everybody. Everyone's favorite. Hail, exclamation point, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to put my hand over my heart for a minute while this plays. Yep. Minnesota, land of the common loon, the monarch butterfly, the walleye fish. Are those the lyrics of the song? Uh, Yeah. Good. Where the pink and white ladies slipper flowers and the Norway pine is a big tree. We love our milk and our Lake Superior agate. 
and our motto, Little Dunord. <laughs> Is it that? Le Trois Dunord. Why is our motto in French? That's a great That's question. Of, That's the next question in the question. two Minnesota corner. And that's been I don't make not even rules. Quebec up there. <laughs> Everyone's favorite segment. All right, I think you passed. Brought to you by milk. Thanks. Um, so, what can you tell me though? What can you tell me first of all? I would like to know, and maybe you aren't the historian for this, but what's the deal with the Twin Cities anyway? Why are there two of them? <laughs> tell me about Pig's Eye. I could make something up. What's Pig's Eye? Yeah. There's a city on the river. Come on down, come on down, come on down. Started, as, started with St. Paul. St. Paul. a military fort. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Get in there. Pig's Eye was one of them. That was the name of the town. Or the fort. Fort Pig's Eye. I'm not from here. And where are you from, stranger? <laughs> I was born in Texas. What's your name? Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hello. And that's Say Hi to Texans Corner Everyone's favorite segment Everything's bigger there Aaron, by the way, is a huge person He's (laughs) almost as big as the Biggest celebrity in the future LeVar LeVar Burton Burton. If you guys don't know, this is another spoiler We'll give away about the future LeVar Burton is the physically largest celebrity His head is the size that the earth is now And his body is proportionate It's his own gravitational field That's right so Fort Pig's Eye is where St. Paul is now? I don't know. There were the St. Anthony Falls, and that's where the cities sprang up around. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end. Minneapolis started because of the flour mill. Mills. Where the Mill City is yep. the nickname. And then they were just close enough to combine. And St. Paul is from the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I heard oh. St. Anthony Falls, too. Sure. So. Spoiler warning. Favorite favorite saint. St. Anthony falls a lot. Is that true? In the Bible? <laughs> We're not. The Bible's not on trial here. Because <laughs> this book is on trial. That's how we do this. Uh, all right. Okay. I have some more questions. Are there really 10,000 lakes? Or is it like a 10,000 maniac situation where there's just like five for real? There, there are really more than 10,000 lakes. Closer than 30,000? Mm-hmm. But Wisconsin claims to have even more. Oh, well, follow-up question, and I'm you can see it's written down here. Do you like Wisconsin? I do not like Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm from there. My mom lives there. You're from Texas. Wait. Well, I was born in Texas. Get your story straight. I traveled through time to Wisconsin and lived there, and I don't like it either. Why don't you guys like Wisconsin? I'm super curious. We have a union-busting governor in Wisconsin. Part of the political climate you mentioned earlier. (laughs) It's boring. (laughs) There you have it. Uh, Another spoiler, it doesn't get any less boring in the future. Okay, well, follow-up question then. I'm just going to keep... I think these all, you know, lead us pretty well one to another. So how do you think that Minneapolis then, and maybe the Twin Cities... That's what I should have said. How do you think, though, that they developed this, like, political ethic of social justice? 
and like equality. So I, I have some like 1886. Um, Martha Ripley founded this maternity hospital for married and unmarried mothers. There's you've got Hubert Humphrey in the past with fair, fair employment. In 1946, uh, 1968, birthplace of the American Indian movement. Why, why, like, what do you think it is about the Twin Cities that, and, and it seems like that continues, like, to this day? I really have no idea. Go do for it, Kat. I, I don't, the Midwest, uh, Wisconsin, before it turned to the dark side, was also a big bastion of, like, union power and progressive politics. I don't know. Maybe because we're all really close to dying for six months of the year, yeah, like connected physical. to life mm-hmm. by a single mm-hmm. thread. And there's so much time inside to read all the things. Right. Mm. It's the same. Did Siri just chime in? <laughs> it's, I bet it's the same reason that the Nordic countries are so progressive. Mm-hmm. Huh. Minneapolis right now actually has a big immigrant population as well. And I think the East African population voted at like 94% or some crazy number. Wow. And so we just uh, elected some Muslim legislators, which is mm-hmm. really cool. I don't know. Um, follow-up question. Do you think that us coming back to promote our book is wasting the ability to go back in time? No. Good. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> yeah. Hmm? Baby Hitler, Hitler is actually already dead in this time. Um, Spoiler warning for 2017. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't make it this far. Yeah, I think, I mean, I was saying to somebody the other day, because Minneapolis, St. Paul, and obviously I haven't spent a lot of time here yet, but um, it seems to me like it has the same kind of ethic that people like to equate with, like, a Portland, a... What are other cool cities? Uh, what's the one in Texas? Austin. Austin, thank the you. Good part. Yeah, and here's the thing, though. I think that those cities, to me, have never been that... Like, they seem too easy to me. Like, it, it seems like people move there because it's like, oh, like, they kind of have what they... I don't know. They've got a lot going on, and so it's easy to settle into that. I feel like Minneapolis, nobody's moving here necessarily. Maybe I'm making an assumption because it's so cold all the time. <laughs> And so, like, but so it seems like it's it's this amazing, partly Midwestern ethic, partly maybe what you were saying about being cold all the time. But it seems like a really distinct, kind of amazing thing that you've got going on. Prince said the cold keeps the riffraff out. <sighs> riffraff the rapper? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's never been here? I don't know. I bet he has. We'll look it up. Uh, I feel like I should just be very forthright about this. Um, I am a holographic projection who believes that he, or that the optimal being has two and only two legs. Thoughts? I really like cats and dogs. Wrong. Think about that. <laughs> I'm just going to say for the record as well, um, you probably noticed um, my current physical form is, I mean, mostly a paper, like origami. Got these seven legs. <laughs> After the last uh, last cup season, I was forming this spit paper mache cocoon around myself, and I came out with these three wings, which I'm super excited about now. It's kind of a new thing. I haven't like you look good. learned how to fly it. Thank you. Have you looked under the table? Seen all those extra legs? Seven legs. Awful. Seven legs. Disgusting. We have a love hate relationship. <laughs> meaning, meaning, I love Where's him, love? And, but hate his legs. <laughs> And he just tolerates me, I guess. 
Okay, does any how thick should ice actually be if you're gonna drive on it? <laughs> <laughs> About a foot. When I was growing up In people, Texas? No, in Wisconsin. When yeah. I was of driving age, they made us drive on the lake because it was a safe way to practice driving on the ice. What? Yeah, so sixteen year olds skidding around out on lakes. <sighs> I have so many questions. Here's the thing: How many sick cookies did you do? That's the first question. Sick cookies? We call them whip. We call it. I think you're referring to whipping shitties. <laughs> yeah, I am. You're right. We whipped a lot of shitties. Okay. Another related: If you have a bunch of people who are going to get together for a thing, and everybody brings some food together, what is that called? Potluck. Oh, potluck. You know where some parts of the galaxy it's a pigeon. <laughs> What? And what do you no. call the thing that you bring to the potluck that has a bunch of stuff? Oh. The mixed. What, the casserole? No. no. Uh, uh. Is that the sound? <laughs> yeah, you know. It's called What's a hot that? dish. What? Okay, what is a loot fisk? <laughs> it is um, fish that has been in lye for a while. And it's what they used to eat in Norway, or maybe still eat in Norway, and it's delicious. In Iceland, they throw sharks and skates in a pit and let them ferment in their own uric acid. Sharks on skates? Is that what you said? Sharks and skates, like raised manta rays. Oh, I thought you were talking about some sharks on ice skates. I thought this was another. The most dangerous sharks because they can survive underwater or on top of it. I thought this was another messed up Norwegian thing that I just don't know about. We put our sharks on skates now. Okay. Wow. I'm learning so much here. This has been a real cultural exchange. Mm-hmm. Do um do all where do all of you live in Minneapolis or St. Paul? St. Paul. Minneapolis. St. Paul. Perfect. Minneapolis. Do we think that St. Paul is ever gonna be cooler than Minneapolis? No. no. Keep St. Paul boring. But the people who live there don't want it to be cooler either. It's nice and because of the biblical thing? <laughs> they saw St. Anthony fall. Okay. Um, do you think that the Vikings mascot is too heteronormative? <laughs> what are the Vikings? <laughs> now it's time for Sports Corner. Because <laughs> I do have some Sports, sports Corner. <laughs> So welcome to Sports Corner. I'm your host, John Love. With me as always, Brant Aldrich and a bunch of Minnesotans. Uh, a gaggle. A gaggle of Minnesotans is what they call them. Uh, so the Minnesota Timberwolves, familiar? Yes or no? The ladies' team is better. Great. The, la- the ladies' team is better. Uh, here you have it. Well, it turns out that a former player for the Minnesota Timberwolves, Kevin Love, possibly my cousin, my last name's Love. There's a current player, last name Aldrich. We have Brent Aldrich on the pod here with us. Uh, what else? There was another another member who's been on the pod who has the same name as a current Minnesota Timberwolves player. Anyways, this has been Sports Corner, brought to you by Corellan Sweet Tea, the sweetest and most refreshing tea in the galaxy. Sip, and we're back. Thanks, John. That was Sports Corner. Okay. Um, who can take us curling? <laughs> My stepdad curls. Do you know the rules? Sorry, we're back in Sports Corner. <laughs> it's uh, it's like shuffleboard, but on ice. With brooms. Shuffleboard.
And that's been Reentering Sports Corner, <laughs> brought to you by Curl and Sweet Tea, sweetest tea in the galaxy sip, and we're back. Who invented the Juicy Lucy? There's fights about it. Okay. There's drama. I want to know, like, yeah, the, like, uh... Mats is where to go, I would say. But I also like Blue Door. I had that. But they didn't... They didn't invent it, but they... Is there, like, an... or Is there, like, a Prometheus stealing fire from the gods origin story to the Juicy Lucy? Yeah, but like those myths, they change depending on who tells them. Does anyone know one? No. <laughs> I feel like it's time to flip the cultural exchange here and, and open up. Uh, yeah. Ask. Is it that time? Yeah. Ask the future. Uh, well, before we get in, so we do have a time capsule of questions from 900 years in the past. Uh, but any, any of the true Minnesotans at the table who have proven their medal as true Minnesotans, uh, if they have any questions for the future, we'd love to field them. Uh, do dogs get to vote? Uh, heck no. We, we had four to, legs. We didn't. We didn't. We had to do some research about what dogs were. They don't. They don't really exist as you know them in 900 years. I'm glad I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Is Florida still there? <laughs> you lo- no spoilers, but Florida's gone pretty soon. And does anyone really care? Yeah, like that uh, famous Little Mermaid song, Under the Sea. (laughs) More questions? Anything? Uh, No. Well, you are dismissed. Thank you, Kat and Aaron, so much for joining us. True Minnesotans. True Minnesotans. Uh, Is it that time to open the time capsule and read some questions? Well, should we... Talk about the book a little bit, at least, before we do that. Okay. I feel like we've had, we've just been, you know, we're obviously trying to get acclimated with our new uh, mm-hmm. climbs here, uh, but, you know, we, we got this book sitting in front of us. Let's chat about that for, for a minute or two. What do you want to say, John? Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about, um, so there's this time machine. That's sort of the basis of this book, is uh, the main character, Charles Yu. Uh, lives in a time machine. He has lived there for 10 years or so. It sounds sometimes a little bit like the TARDIS, but I don't know if it is actually bigger on the inside or if it's just the same size on the inside on the outside, but it sounds kind of like that size. Um, the premise is he's been living in that. As I said earlier, it runs on chronodiegetical technology, which is a six-cylinder grammar drive built on a quad-core physics engine. And so early on, you have this basis in both science and grammar and language uh, as the basis for how he's going to move around in this space with his time machine. Right. And his, his job is to basically fix t- people's time machines who, is, who have broken down. Uh, and I like there's a distinction between uh, in Universe 31, where this whole story is set pretty much, there are the protagonists, and there are basically the backroom folks like him who are in maintenance and retconning. Uh, so basically everybody who is a protagonist, uh, I mean, kind of has a story about them. That's why, I don't know, that was kind of confusing to me a little bit in this book, where, I know, he be, kind of becomes a protagonist and then, I don't know, maybe becomes like an upper-class member of this universe's society because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a little confusing to me. Um, because I'm no English uh, major and I can barely read, mm-hmm. so 
because uh, again, we're from the future. This is not our native tongue. Mm-hmm. So any any gaff that I make, you have to forgive me for mm-hmm. universe. Um, but yeah, all right, continue. Um, you know, well, just to say, I mean, I think that there's yeah, um, there's a lot to say about this book too in terms of structure. So we we talked about how meta it is early on. To the point where I don't even know if I could spoil this story if I tried to. I mean, it, it is in some ways a very simple story, but the structure of it weaves back and forth with the structure of the book and the structure of this time machine and the narrative that moves along throughout the whole thing. Uh, you know, so I would say like this first half, it's a little bit of getting acclimated. You think the story is going one way. Charles Yu, the author, um, breaks chapters up in in some ways that are very self-aware and it's not even until later that we get like four pages of consistent like straight narrative in a row i would say definitely and yeah that's why i think it was pretty difficult to come up with a five word synopsis because it is i mean it is kind of just those five words and i'd say the main story is this um charles you in the book like the main protagonist character who is trying to find his father who invented the time travel technology and is lost somewhere in time and or space or space time and i mean he's really just trying to find him and so that's kind of the main thrust of the story but there is all these interweaving kind of time loops and paradoxes that we have to sort through um but yeah i um I really enjoyed, I mean, I liked the whole book, but I really enjoyed the first half of the book where we kind of get uh, this character who does now travel through time and repair these time machines. Him basically doing his job, for one, there's some great moments where he meets uh, science fictional characters like Luke Skywalker's son, Linus, which is an amazing little scene. Uh, And then also just stories from his childhood uh, growing up in a universe that you know, has these same science fictional characters as, uh, I mean, as fictional characters, but then he gets to go find them because there's mm-hmm. infinite universes and infinite kind of timelines and thing people mm-hmm. that he can kind of meet and find. And, like, all these fictional characters are real somewhere. So the uh, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is kind of true mm-hmm. in, in this universe. Mm-hmm. Sure. As are any other... You know, I think that part of the interesting thing about this book is that it's set, I would say, in the near distant future, not that far off. And so it treats the entire reality as if it is science fiction. And and so I do think that, you know, even in 2017, talking about are we just living in a science fiction universe anyway, in terms of, you know, the, the, the blurring between science fact and science fiction is, I would say, increasingly, you know, hard to to say which begat the other to some extent um and so any science fictional premise is just embedded into the reality of the story yeah i mean kind of to clarify i guess the last point that i was making the convolutions or the the ways that his the way that his um interacting and fixing these time machines for often fictional characters is interwoven with his past so he meets Linus Skywalker, who basically gets in a time machine, rents a time machine to go back in time and kill his dad, the actual Luke Skywalker. And he's kind of this just like punk kid. And he has to tell him, no, you can't change the past. It's not possible. Like, quit trying. And then uh, another moment. um, Let's see. I'm going to have to look up this moment in the book real quick. Uh, Page 29 in the soft cover. Uh, You have him as an actual child, Charles Yu, the... uh, fixer of time machines growing up and he says i'm going to audiobook this 
There was one time Donnie, the kid from two blocks over, the other side of the freeway, got first pick and said he was going to be Buck Rogers, and everyone laughed at Donnie so hard and for so long that he looked like he was going to cry. He begged to change his answer, but by then it was too late. Justin, who had second dibs, got to be Han Solo that day, which was like winning the lottery with a ticket he didn't even buy, and he milked it for all it was worth. Donnie was in agony, was in hell, really, and everyone called him Suck Rogers until he peed his pants and got on his blue huffy bike and rode away, never to return. So he, as a child, uh, talks about these you know characters that we know that exist in science fictional universe, but then later goes and you know interacts for real with the protagonist that has to do with that same story. I think it's just kind of an interesting, yeah, interweaving of these texts and then you know this text, this actual narrative, and the, sure. and the nature of reality in these in this story is as if it's. A narrative structure and so in one reality in one world in one universe i guess the physics had the physics drive hasn't been all the way installed it's at like 70 percent, and it has like an abundance of hero characters and so it's it's treated as this like semi-finished script almost for a narrative in which um you know loose ends narratives that don't quite wrap up as they should you know third act problems are embedded in that universe and I think that that idea is, you know, of of layering a narrative structure onto reality starts to make you think, or start to make me think about reality itself as we're experiencing it, you know. And, and so, could you apply these things to an actual reality? And I think that for me, the further this narrative went, the less it sounded like a science fictional universe, and the more it just sounded like the one that we actually inhabit. But you live 900 years in the future. Of course. Yeah, we, we certainly do live 900 years in the future. Uh, and I've never met Han Solo. I know that he actually does exist, though, for instance, which people these times maybe don't. So that's a little bit of a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he uh, he did shoot first. Get off my plane. Yep. Uh, he, yeah, he was also president, as we know, for a while. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to talk just maybe briefly about... Uh, and kind of coming back to the question of, you know, is coming back to this time to advertise our own book tour a little bit self-serving when we could go back and change potentially a lot of things. In this book, I think it really clears that up. So uh, speaking about the idea of maybe a butterfly effect where, you know, the butterfly flaps its wings differently on the other side of the world and everything changes, uh, this book does a really good job of laying out how kind of unimportant uh, the you know any individual actor is so um just real quickly audiobook the universe just doesn't put up with that we aren't important enough no one is even in our own lives we're not strong enough willful enough skilled enough in chronodiegetic manipulation to be able to just accidentally change the entire course of anything even ourselves so the i mean this book talks about how time is viscous it's a massive flow whose undercurrents you can't even really touch Mm -hmm. despite you kind of flapping around uh, aimlessly a little bit, even trying to go back into certain periods of time and change things, mm-hmm. uh, which I think maybe brings up ideas of free will or de- versus determinism, mm-hmm. uh, especially because this character who is a protagonist in the book gets stuck in a time loop and reenacts the same thing over and over again for a period of time, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of ideas early on that he's trying to go back in time or remain static in time, to a point, you know, to 
understand this moment like when his father left in his own time machine and so this charles u character gets stuck in this time loop as john was saying but he also there's a lot of these ideas that i would say are as much psychological as you know temporal and and time travel related and so there's this idea about like what could i have done right you know and and how could i be uh the person like i ought to be or i could be or i should be there's this like could would should scenario that plays out and um and in that regard it, it, it to some extent is always chasing after a thing that like you can get close to but never to it it's that idea that like you can get a little bit closer or like half of a half of a half but never to the thing in this kind of loop that he's in zeno's paradox here we go that's the one that's the zeno's paradox mentioned corner <laughs> and we're back uh yeah for sure should we get into uh the old listener challenge all right uh it's everyone's favorite segment the listener challenge uh the universe's favorite game show segment of a podcast that they cannot possibly win Uh, all right um so here we go as you know we it's always a number-based um element of the book that we're currently reading so on page 59 of the paperback book uh, New York and Los Angeles are a certain number of miles apart. Your listener challenge is how many miles apart they are. Uh, the right answer is 2,462. If you can disprove that that is um, not correct in this, according to this book, then call, fax, email, get a, get a hold of us, and you can win a prize package by Corellin Sweet Tea, the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip. And we're back. You can't win. Uh, thanks for playing. That's how we play Listener Challenge. Uh, spay and neuter your pets and cut two of their legs off. And we're back. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, thank you, John, for that Listener Challenge. Absolutely. Spreading the good word. <laughs> well, a few things. I think that... As I was just starting to say, I, I think that for me, the part of this book that started to get interesting to play around with was, as I was saying, so it, there's this idea that, you know, he, he's sort of chasing a person that uh, says, like, I, the person I was going to be, you know, whatever that means. And this idea of, um, you know, that uh, that there's another there, there's another universe, like, that that's, like, just out of reach. And it's like, oh, in this other universe that I'm trying to attain... I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm whatever, whatever. And, um, and I think as we get farther into this book, the line starts to become blurred so much between that very like psychological and self-reflective longing for a better self or a better world. And the same act of using his time machine to literally go try to track that moment, like in time down. And so the further you get into this book, the more and more it becomes about like, a matter of perception, right? And and how um, any one person experiences the world or experiences the self or um, memory and how that maybe plays out in cycles, you know, through a person's life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think with that, there's an interesting connection between that idea and kind of relativistic time, actually. So, so in this book, very early on, it's pretty standard narrative. You know, it might be, we pick up the action in the next chapter the next day or 
or so. You know, it's it's pretty regularly spaced out time where he's speaking about the action, the things that are happening in the world, um, and just kind of the highlight bits. But the further we go, it almost becomes kind of like that Zeno's paradox where time sort of slows down and you just get endless, like, uh, involution and self-reflection. And he talks about, you know, 17 different things in the span of, like, no time at all, kind of contradicting himself. And that that got to be kind of tough for me to mm-hmm. read a little bit. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I have those moments as well where I'm kind of constantly rethinking my own thoughts, but it was almost too much mm-hmm. at certain times where you don't know exactly what's going on and, like, no time is, feels like no time is passing through the book. Like, every page is the same for a while. Um, and then inside the narrative, like, nothing is really moving forward. And that's kind of the time loop idea mm-hmm. that was happening, too. So it seems like, yeah, every second just gets super stretched out towards the end of the book, which I think is something that he's going for. He mentions in the acknowledgments at the end of this book, um, Godel Escher Bach, The Eternal Golden Braid, which is a book about recursion and infinity. And it's I think that that book definitely shows through in some of those moments of yeah, just endless self-reflection upon self-reflection about self-reflection. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was kind of tough, but I mean, it, it totally fits the narrative, and it makes sense at the end why some of that stuff would start to happen, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I'm going to read, and this is not a spoiler, because it's like before the chapters even start, So, but it's a, it's a line of dialogue that shows back up again, and it's referred to sort of throughout audiobook. When it happens, this is what happens. I shoot myself. Not, you know, my self-self. I shoot my future self. He steps out of a time machine introduces himself as Charles Yu. What else am I supposed to do? I kill him. I kill my own future. And so that, as John was just saying about getting stuck in this loop of like, to some extent over, I, I think again, that's where the uh, the like mental act of almost overanalyzing, you know, oh, like like what could have, could have been, might have been, could have been different had I done this one thing differently. I think that literally translates into that idea of maybe killing the future self if what that does to you mentally is get you locked into this cycle of like you know getting really bound up in 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 one single moment or one single failure or one single decision that went this way instead of that way Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean i think that we've been getting pretty heavily into the content and i think to break up some of the possible tedium we should get into a new segment, um, which is based off of this book. Um, so, what early on Charles Yu, the time travel or the time machine repairman, says: people, what they often do once they rent a time machine is go back to their worst moment and relive it over and over again. So, it's time for everyone's favorite segment: what's your worst moment? I feel like we need some guests for this. Uh, welcome to It's Your Worst Moment. Uh, I'm your host, John Love. With me, as always, Brent Aldrich. Hi, John. Hey, Brent. What's your worst moment? Man, i got to think about this one because there's been so many over, Again, just, over a 930-year lifetime. Sure. Uh, yeah. Superlatives mean there's only one worst, so <laughs> let's hear it. Man, I uh, Again, well, this is the segment to lighten up the uh, tedium <laughs> and the heaviness of the podcast. I really want to get this one right. Uh, uh, Damn, I mean, mm, I mean, I've killed, I've murdered. <laughs> Were those? <laughs> we got mandolins. <laughs> we got murder. We got diagenics. You played the mandolin. 
Yeesh, I didn't know that. Yikes. Yeah, that could have been it. Man, I, I do really want to get it right, though. You know, uh, gosh, this might be a, a, a good time for a commercial break while I think about my worst moment. All right, time for a commercial break. Uh, accidental beans. You stuck in a time loop and get really hungry replaying your worst moment over and over again? Try accidental beans. Whoops, I'm stuck in a time loop, but these accidental beans are delicious. Accidental beans. Whoops. Yeah. And we're back. I mean, uh, there, there there really are truly too many to account for. Uh, I mean... I mean, you got a lot of extra legs there. I mean, these are... Seems pretty bad to me. These are gems. These are golden. You know, I, um, uh, I, I feel like when I've, you know... Um, uh, what was the question? My very worst moment... <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I think um, I think when I have deliberately, uh, you know, and and spitefully passed the blame uh, f- for actions just because it'd be convenient or, or funny. Um, man, I feel like I've got better ones though than what I'm thinking of right now. Really well, by right. by the end of our uh, time here we'll in 20, 2027, even though it's twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. you know, the brand yeah. uh, twenty twenty seven, we'll figure it out. We'll yeah. get to the bottom of it. We'll get to your Gosh. personal background's bottom. Okay, well, we'll we'll throw some out there. I mean, there's there's one time where, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, we were we were all this was when we were growing up. We were all living on you know the the space station outside the moon, and I was like bouncing on my. Uh, I was I was at a I was at a moment where it was like the best thing you could imagine in your world was you know turn the gravity down real low and just like jumping on your bed so much right now you know everybody next door can hear you you know that you know that for a fact but uh you got a little punk ass kid uh there too you're a punk ass kid you're seven i'm a punk ass kid yeah we all are absolutely the motto of the center of the galaxy and so and so what you can do is just jump really loud uh on your on your like uh you know low gravity uh mattress and then while simultaneously doing that, you can yell at this other kid for doing it loud enough so that the people next door can hear you. And you're like yelling at him to stop while you're full well doing it. It's not a nice thing to do. Uh, That's uh, the catchphrase of I this did segment. It. The worst moment. It's did not a nice one. thing to do. Did that one. But that's not the worst, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Here. Yeah, we do. We do have several weeks in 2027. Uh, my worst moment, I, growing up, poked my dad in the eye on accident. He was preparing me for a bath. It was bath time. And I was, I don't remember exactly how this happened. Uh, I was, you know, I don't know. I was picking up my action figures. I accidentally poked him in the eye. He was furious. And he threw one of my action figures on the ground. And he busted it. Broke both of its legs off, as a matter of fact. <laughs> That was my worst moment ever. Not my fault, obviously. I take responsibility he, for nothing ever. The fact that he broke both legs off of your toy, that was it, the worst it, moment. It colored the rest of my life, I'll tell you that. And that's how we play Your Worst Moment, brought to you by Accidental Beans. Was it a mistake? Only Accidental Beans knows. Yeah. And we're back. Well, um, here's what I'd like to talk about in this book. I think that um, I, I was actually reminded the one of the last, yeah, no, the last book that we podcasted in our first season 
was Mad Adam, which is the third book in a trilogy by Margaret Atwood, which in our um, season finale, I rated as the best books that we read all season. So big fan of those books. They're terrific. We're getting a lot of head nods out in the audience. It's good for old Maggie Atz. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That passive-aggressive Minnesota applause. On a podcast, we call that podcast gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, let's have a little bit. Yeah, so, okay, so some Minnesota applause slash podcast gold. Three, two, one. And, and we're back. <laughs> but uh, there, were, there were a few things in this, I think, as this book was starting to resolve, that reminded me so much of some of my... Some of my favorite parts of that book, Mad Adam, which, again, it's the third book in a trilogy, so a lot of things are resolving in that series by the end of it. And there's a sense in Mad Adam where you have these survivors of this post-apocalyptic world. Again, it's no spoilers. This is exactly what happens in all three of those books. That's the literal premise. And um, But there's this question about, like, okay, so, um, yeah, maybe... Um, you aren't you're going to put off doing a thing because you think it won't like be the most significant or meaningful or world changing thing in the world and so like you put it off and you put it off and you put it off but like that what that leads to is essentially just this like denial of the present which long term turns into that's when you do look back and say like like you have this like regret or you get caught in this time loop and so i think that where Charles Yu, the character in this book, ends for me with perhaps, or at least there's a sentiment that I think is the same. So I'm going to read some audiobooks on 152 in the hardback. Um, you know, so he's talking, I think this is a a, a scene like remembered with his father as they were young. Audiobook. What could we do? What would we do? What would we have done differently? Instead of the ordinary problems of life, the problem of what to do next, what to do first, of what to do ever at all, even the smallest step, we would also have the problem of what to do yesterday, what to do last year, of how to justify anything ever. And this is the idea that if you could go back in that time machine and try to keep fixing or try to keep redoing or undoing or changing, um, you would ultimately get stuck in that that, um, version of like either... I didn't do a thing because, or I did do this thing and it didn't go the way I anticipated rather than just like, to some extent saying like, no, like right now in this moment is perhaps the most significant choice to be made um, in, in that like, you know, liminal space of like the present. Um, yeah. I have uh, nothing nearly as deep to follow up with that. So let's go to, uh, Everyone's favorite segment, things that happen in this book that happen in our universe, too. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, page 61, they mention a time capture cage. As, as fans of the podcast know, our friend Dyson, time traveler from 1980s China. Our favorite teammate. Our favorite teammate. We keep him uh, in a time cage because we don't want him escaping. Uh, Dyson, the, uh, the host and protagonist of everyone's favorite segment seven worms for dyson uh he's never here he always escapes the search for dyson does continue mm-hmm. uh so they mentioned a time capture cage uh, time cage also page 64 uh they mention a genius baby playing 11 dimensional music 
amazing, but uh, and, but I was actually forced to speak about this because our producers are babies. Our baby producers. Uh, so uh, this one's for you, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. <laughs> um, all right. I think it's definitely time to ask the future. Okay. Um, I feel like for this one, um, can we get some more guests up here uh, on the pod? There's only like a few people who haven't been here. I feel like we need we need a, a, a local time space perspective and the future. Come on down. <laughs> Either or both. Come on down. Okay. These are for you. All right. I'm name? just gonna. Amy. So just a second. I'm introducing people. Oh, I'm What's rude. Summer. Summer. Amy and Summer. Um, you you were you neither claimed native Minnesotan. Is that accurate? <laughs> right. I was giving you the Minnesota nod. Uh, where are you from? Arizona. What's in Arizona? Um, not a lot. Most things are dead. But what is there tends to want to kill you. So cactus, scorpions, and people pretending like it's okay to live there. Nice. That sounds like a little microcosm of the entire universe. Yeah. Not a lot there, but what's there will try and kill you. Mm-hmm. As we learned with uh, the Dark Forest, uh, yeah, the book we read last season. What would you say is the, um, oh, interesting, state amphibian of Arizona? We do have desert tortoises. They're not amphibians, but it's probably as close as you get. Oh, and the bullfrogs have taken over all of the ponds, and you can hunt them with tridents to help the environment. Okay. Tridents? Yeah. Like, we're talking about Poseidon. Yeah, we're talking Poseidon style? I mean, any sort of sharp poking instrument, but I think the trident gives it a cool factor that really encourages people to go out. And just slaughter them frogs. Yes. We're trying to allow the natural populations to come back. Well, like the Arizona tree frog, your uh, state amphibian. (laughs) Beautiful. Um, I have have one quick question. Uh, Which frog do you prefer? Oh, I like and the- there is a right answer to this. I, I got two options. Yeah. Okay. A, a normal frog? Mm-hmm. Michigan J frog. Mm-hmm. I'll go with Michigan J. Right answer. Woo. And that's how we play. That frog walks on two legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and where are you from? When I'm not here, I say I'm from here, but I was born in the southern United States and lived there for most of my childhood. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, do you kill things with tridents down there? Um, just catfish. With tridents? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Where do we get some tridents? Where, if we need to go to the store and get a trident, like, what's the trident store? What's the closest one? Axeman. Axeman would probably actually have one if you haven't been. Can we go to Axeman after this? They're closed. Oh, dang. Okay. Uh, welcome to everyone's favorite segment, your axe to grind. Yeah. <laughs> Axeman is not open and we can't get tridents there. That makes me really steamed. <laughs> and that's been your Axe to Grind. Thanks, John, for that Axe to Grind. That's everyone's favorite segment. Um, okay, so I feel like I handed mine off. I, I um, w- Would you pick one of those that you think is um, a good question for the future? Uh, and we'll try to address it. I'm keeping this one. <laughs> pick your favorite of those, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, someone wants to know if we will always wear shoes or will our skin become more durable than our feet? Oh, good question. It becomes a choice in the future. Uh, but, there, you know, two shoes, obviously, I for mean, obvious reasons. My Yeah, I think that my preference, I think that is a good question. I think it becomes, I think that your feet and your, like, any other, you know, physical form becomes more of a choice like anything else. Um, you know, right now you can, I don't know, choose your <laughs> shirts, your what, which Air Jordan you want to wear. Um, but uh, that's a good question. No, you get to choose. You get to choose. Um, what place will animals have in societies of the future? Uh, can we can we see uh, who is that from? I'm interested to know who in the uh, galaxy is asking these questions. From Cynthia themselves? and Isabel um, from Saint Paul, Minnesota, on Earth. Uh, yeah, Brent, what, what do you think? Well, I think. Um, Again, we can't give spe- specific spoilers for fear of changing the timelines, but I will say that um, uh, you guys have a president to look forward to that uh, is not human. It does actually con- connect to another question. Okay. Really um, this one's not signed, so it may have been an ape, but it says, will the apes really take over the human race, and will it be led by an uprising by the Russians and Donald Trump? Nope. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Well, that one's yeah. Uh, there is some sort of creature that inhabits the White House after the current one, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe his name is Doctor Rumplescott. <laughs> that means nothing to anybody else here. Uh, listen back to the podcast. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The doctor. The good doctor. Uh, I have. I have a very pressing question. Uh, they did also. They also did not write their name, nor hometown, or email on this on this question. Question is, what will I look like? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be beautiful. You're gonna love it. It's gonna be fantastic for you. Yeah, things are actually really looking up. Whatever you want, you got it. Mm-hmm. We'll make sure it happens. Podcast goals. Mm-hmm. Any any more that seem particularly relevant to our uh, our present moment? Present moment. Yeah. There's a lot of those. Um, someone would like to know who will be the president of the United States in six months, but that has already been touched upon. <sighs> I mean, Voldemort. Yeah, he's... and it's an improvement, surprisingly. <sighs> Voldemort would be an improvement. Um, your current vice president would not be. <laughs> <laughs> I like this question from old Libby. I do not know how to pronounce that last name. Is it so Norwegian? I, it might be. Uh, so sorry, Libby. I am basically literate. Uh, will I ever have a neighbor on Earth that's an alien? Spoiler, Libby. You already do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We got any more? We have a science question. Excellent. In the future, will scientists figure out how to turn off and on gravity for themselves and be able to breathe still? Can you break that question down? What do you think that means? So my guess is I think when you turn gravity off, your lungs will no longer correctly work. So there's there's that problem. So I'm going to say, one, I think you know more about how gravity works than I do. 
um, because I would have said like, yeah, just turn that turn that shit on and off all you want. That sounds great. That sounds fun. Um, Vacuums are only for hypothetical physics problems. They're not fun to work in. Okay. I, I guess, I mean, if you have lungs still in the future, you need to worry about that. Again, I mean, just like the feet thing, though, you know, you don't, you don't need lungs. You can be some other kind of uh, organism. Yeah. Upload my consciousness into hundreds of bodies, so it's fine. Uh, I've got a real, real pressing one from Whitney. Uh, have you managed to reinvent unicorns yet? Uh what? No, of course not, because you can't reinvent something. But we did bring them back to life, and they're fantastic. Mm. It's a real Jurassic Park s- situation, though. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and we did convince them to all walk upright on two legs. <laughs> but they're like raptors. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Let's not touch that. <laughs> Just leave it at that. I feel like we've really answered some real questions for the future. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what do we got? I'm gonna seal up the I'm gonna seal up the time capsule here real quick. Um, the the only other things I want to say about this, um, because this book again became so deeply involved with its own existence and and this idea of meta storytelling, and I think by the end of it, really came down with the idea that. A time machine, as much as anything, has to do with um, like a perception machine in, in terms of how human beings or any other life form actually perceives uh, the passage of time or how um, memory you know, informs the present and the future. So I, I think that the, where this book lands, so he's still in something of a time loop, and um, but there is this idea that um, it's sort of an, an individual experience almost of how you end up uh, literally perceiving any any kind of past experience that could be almost called like a time machine. Like your own perception serves the same function as a time machine. And I think that that's where this book got super interesting was that it takes speculative or science fictional um, ideas and really says, like, well, no, maybe that's actually just reality itself. You know, maybe the, the world of science fiction is the one that we're living in because science fiction in this case is to some extent an extension of the human or, you know, of whatever kind of consciousness you want to talk about. Um, and so, but that also, like, had me by the end of the thing, like, holding my book, like, is this, like, is this real? Am I in a time loop? You know, it, it, it really did kind of make me question some of that. Um, and so that was, I think, a successful book in that regard. Uh, yeah, I, I think, well, the time loop itself, even inside of the book. Uh, so basically, he gets to a point where he is imagining that he's killing himself over and over again, or he sees another version of himself, kills himself, and then goes, writes this book, and then is going to go back to get killed by himself. Uh, but then we kind of get a final perspective towards the end where maybe... Well, he, well, early on, which that quote that you read, where I shoot myself, I kill my future, turns out the future him didn't actually die. And so it might have just been a whole, like a perceptual thing in general. And when he gets the, you know, all the emotions tied up with, I'm going to die in X amount of time, I know this because I already have shot myself. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the extension of time or the perceiving time is going slower uh, maybe is just his own internal perception engine mm-hmm. instead of 
yeah, a time machine or a real time loop. Mm -hmm. So that, I think it's a little confusing, um, but, uh, you know, I can't read good, so. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a, just a couple other things I'd like to touch on before before we wrap up. And uh, one is just this idea of there's, there's, I would say, a definition of, like, the human in here that I think is kind of beautiful. He's talking again about he's looking at himself as a child with his father and this experience and relationships that they had. And he says, looking at that, that them, like a father and this son, he says, we looked like innocence. We looked terrified and stupid and naive and alive and open to possibility. And I think that that definition of like maybe was to be human. You know, I, I have uh, a, a friend who was just saying something similar once. And I think that what she summarized just humans as she said, like, they're dumb but hopeful. And I think that that idea is actually strangely reassuring and, um, and you know, you know uh, a, a good way to think about how you move forward in the universe. Like, yeah, maybe we are all dumb and figuring it out and um, anxious and self-conscious and all full of the same kind of anxieties. But one, we all are. Like, we, we all to some extent share that. And, but at the same time, we're, we're strangely hopeful that, um, things will be better or things will work out or things will resolve. And, and that to some extent is, is how you work through that, like dumbness or, or whatever else. Yeah. So, yeah, I know that you, you have been a human. And so that would obviously relate to you in a, in a strong way. Uh, something that related to me being a holographic projection. Um, so, Charles Yu in his time or in his time machine ha- speaks to his what he calls his boss, which is a computer interface named Phil. Uh, yeah. Phil thinks that he's human, which is kind of funny, but also Phil is projected into Charles Yu, the main protagonist's uh, time capsule when he's talking to him. Sure. Uh, and so this is a line that really reassured me about the future of holographic projections. Uh, so audiobook. Come on, Phil. I stroke his holographic hair. Come on, be a pal. Say it, Phil. Say we're good. And, you know, that just speaks to the fact that people can almost feel holographic projections in the future. We almost become corporeal for brief moments. Do you want to just back up and, and audiobook the exchange between... So Phil is a computer program who doesn't know he's a computer program, uh, but he's been programmed to have this, like, dude talk with uh, Charles Yu. I just want to read some of these because it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and let's funny. go back like, and forth. We didn't even say this. Parts of this book are actually surprisingly funny and I laughed out loud at. Um, yeah. Do you want to be Charles Ewer, Phil? You should I be I want to be Phil, obviously. Sure. He you has get, holographic hair. You get the good lines, but let's, let's do this. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do this and not be racist. Yep. Uh, yo, dog. Just, just checking in. Hey, Phil. Everything A-OK here? You? You know, same old, my lady is still on my case about the drinking, but you know how I roll. So what's up, Phil? Uh, oh, right. We can't guy talk all day. Ha ha. I'm punching you in the arm now, emoticon-wise. I don't know how to convey that. Anyway, my records are showing your unit is due for maintenance. You feel me, dog? She's running fine. Yeah, I know, homie. I know. <laughs> I we could probably end it there. We, we, <laughs> we didn't get to the holographic hair part. Okay, it's, it's fine. Okay, it's it's fine. the holographic hair part is after that. Yeah. We, we also didn't say that he has um, Tammy, his operating system, who um, 
is a, another computer program uh, who has something of a relationship with and his uh, ontologically real dog, which uh, is not, in fact, there materially. But uh, again, there's a question of that. Like, so, but if it's if it's if it's real, and he talks about it as if it's real, and treats it like it's real, and it make it smells and it makes noise like it's real, why not? <laughs> you know, it's it's no less real in that regard in his perceptual experience than anything else may or may not be. All right. So is it? I just want to two I more just, segments. Are I just want to talk about. I just want to talk about the other things that made me laugh out. There's one in particular. Let's do it. I don't know if you've got one. And now I already did mine. That was the no the earlier one where uh, the the pee pants Han Solo thing. That's pretty funny. There's yeah. there's jokes in here that shouldn't be funny, but I I, just, I laughed out loud at because they're the same kind of just like dumb dumb joke that it's not even funny. It's just throwaway. Um, I I can't even preface it because it's now it's not gonna be funny. I've ruined it already. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Stop Minnesota applauding me. <laughs> Um, That's podcast goal. Uh, he's talking about a uh, how in the future uh, New York and Los Angeles have like merged into one city, and Tokyo like glommed on half of it. And so he's just talking about how the new geography has shifted in this world. And so it says, uh, "Where do I have to start?" Basically, New York and Los Angeles, twenty four sixty two miles apart. Listener challenge. Uh huh. They um, they slowly and invisibly and irreversibly merged into each other in the process, swallowing up what was in between, leaving one metropolis that contained within it what had been America. Alaska and Hawaii were included as well. And it's just one of those like throwaway lines that you don't need to include. But it's like, oh, Alaska and Hawaii, um, you know, they're down there at the bottom corner of the map. Uh, we th- they're America, guys. And there was one other instance in that, too, where he's talking about, like, oh, yeah, when you're growing up as a kid in this science fictional universe, you imagine that in the future there will be sex bots and you can pay them to have sex. And it'll cost a dollar <laughs> because, like, that's the price of things when you're a child. It's a dollar. Um, so there's just some of those throwaway – not throwaway. I mean, they're genuinely funny, but, like, you don't necessarily need to include them. But they're nice little jokes. Absolutely. That was the nice little joke corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, rating systems. Take, Take a, a look. look. It's, it's in a book. book. Rating systems. Uh, welcome to Rating else, Systems. Sir. I'm your host, John Love. With me, as always, Brent Aldrich and some Minnesotans. A gaggle of Minnesotans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you hear them gaggling? <laughs> so, uh, Brent, uh, what do you rate this book? I don't even know how to rate this one. It's been it's been so long since we've read one that wasn't in a series, and I had my my default system to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, well, here's the thing. Uh, I can do this. Um, I'm going to say this is the best book we've read in our second season, of which this is episode one. I really enjoyed it a lot, and um, you know, it's the only thing I've read by Charles Yu. I think it's the only novel actually. Um, I will say it's the most contemporary book that we've probably read on this podcast in terms of the kinds of references it's making. Um, the, the references to popular culture of the time are super strong. And so in that regard, I think that it existed at a moment in time that makes it very accessible to read. And um, yeah, uh, the best book we've read all season, John. 
Uh, and by Minnesotan applause, can I get the uh, the gaggle of Minnesotans rating on this book? That's <laughs> oh, they didn't like it. They hated it. As we all know, Minnesotan applause is the same thing as podcast gold, meaning silence. So they are not fans. Sorry, Charles. Sorry, Charlie. That's the obvious joke. Damn it. Uh, and I'm gonna rate this. Well, this is man. How are you gonna rate this, John? I well, I want to read it again because I feel like. I mean, it's it is a pretty quick, easy read. This is a lot more preamble than I usually give my ratings, mm-hmm. uh, but I think reading it again will make me appreciate it even more. Um, just so I can kind of figure out exactly what's going on because there were some tricky bits. Uh, but I'm going to give this a solid 1.8 out of two legs. <laughs> and that's how we play rating systems. Take a look. look. It's in a book. Rating systems. Thanks, John, and yep. thank you um, to our, uh, you know, I, I feel like our new foster parents, Bone Shaker Books, the coolest independent bookstore in the Twin Cities metro area. <laughs> yeah. Can we live here? <laughs> uh, seriously, thank you for hosting us. This has been terrific. I think we're going to try to come back next week and perhaps do Frankenstein, perhaps the first science fiction book ever written. Uh, and also um, look up the uh, the first uh, Frankenstein movie Directed by, I forget, but starring um, the other guy. Very good. Just search for that on your Googles. I don't know. Uh, all right. Uh, is it possible to – who is the best uh, right. freestyle rapper and or beatboxer in Minnesota? And by Minnesota, I mean in the room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who, is the, uh, uh, who is the second best beatboxer and or freestyle rapper in Minnesota? Can I get the third best to the stage? <laughs> because it's that time when we are uh, obligated, wrap it out. obligated by our sponsors, Carol and Sweet Tea, the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip, thanks, and we're back. We're going to wrap this thing out, and we'll see you off into this good night. All right, yeah. we'll, just do, we'll just do it. We'll do it. We'll do it acapella style. We'll do it uh, rockapella style. Yep. You guys remember rockapella? Yo, good. Yo. Don't need that. Yo. Yo. How to live safely in the universe. Coming to you and I'm eating Starburst. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I don't know. She's driving Winnebago's to a Twin Cities. Twin Cities. Yep. 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 Some people coming here from a town called Farming. Come in there, they're ringing the alarmings because it's nothing to do but raising that grain. I didn't ask you my questions. I've got a lot of my brain. Coming to you from the 900 years in the future. Coming to you, landing. We got sutures on our bodies because we're hurt. We crash landed on White Bear Lake. Coming to you, I wouldn't be a fake. If I was here from the future, I wouldn't lie. Coming to you, I'm afraid we're going to die in this 2017. It's a scary time. Coming to you, I'm not going to rhyme with rhyme because my New Year's resolution was to stop making that rhyme. (laughs) Yep. 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 Uh, Charles, you going to bring it out of you. I rhyme the same word because I'm a turd at rapping. Uh, I heard your clapping, Minnesota style. It sounds like podcast gold, and it's been a while since I've felt good about myself. <laughs> Sad rhyme? Uh, having a good time. Uh, 
uh, I rhymes time with rhyme because I did not take the same uh, New Year's resolution. Uh, two legs is the way to be. I got you <laughs> out here in the galaxy. I'm on a uh, space pod with my friend Brent. I gotta uh, pay my pay my rent. <laughs> I gotta pay my rent. I gotta pay my rent. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thank you for coming. Oh man. So oh, bad, bad raps. Bad raps. Thank you guys so much for tolerating that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Beautiful. Nice. Yep.
想。